All right, Genesis 48 this morning. Genesis chapter 48. When you find your place, we'll get started with a, with a word of prayer here. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for, for showing your abundant grace to us. Uh, Father, we, we feel it in many ways. Uh, as Mark alluded to earlier this morning, Father, we, we feel it with the rain. Uh, as, we, as we understand grace that is falling uh, literally from the sky, but it is, it is falling on both the, the just and the unjust. Uh, Father, that, that grace is immense. It, is, it, cannot be, it cannot be bounded. It is not bound uh, by, by uh, how even we respond to you. Uh, but, Father, those who are yours, uh, Father, we, we experience that grace at, at a greater level. Uh, we, we experience uh, the love that you have given to us. Uh, we see your, your mercy. Uh, we see your, your goodness. Uh, and it is abundant to us in Christ. Uh, it is abundant to us as you, as you come and you take us and you place us into a body. Uh, this, this church, the church, uh, Father, where we come together and we find ourselves sharing more than we would even with those whom we're related to. Father, we, we share a hope. Uh, Father, we share, uh, we share promises. Uh, we share a, a destiny. Uh, Father, and oftentimes we don't find that, even with close friends, even with loved ones, even with, with coworkers, Father. We, we find it in the church alone. And, and Father, we thank you for that. And, and I pray that today, that as we are thinking about your promises, uh, I pray that we, we see that collectively as a body. Father, these are, these are things that we share. And we share not just with individuals in this room, uh, not just with individuals uh, in, in this state or, 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 um, or just across the, this moment in time, uh, but we share it with saints who have gone back hundreds and thousands of years, Father. Uh, Father, and, and, and we share in those same promises we sojourn together. So give us grace, Father, as we think about this, the, the, the promises that you have made, the grace that you have given to us, uh, Father, and, and the unity that we come together in that. So give me, give me clarity of thought and clarity of words this morning as I speak. And Father, and I pray that you are glorified and we're edified in the process. Just let me pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 48 here this morning. Um, last week when we were in wrapping up chapter 47, uh, we find in, in back in verse... Um, back in verse 28 uh, of chapter 47, uh, that by the time that, that Jacob is, is reaching the end of his life, he's, he's about 147 years old. Uh, he's about 130 years old as he is entering into the land of Egypt uh, to go and to meet his son Joseph again. And apparently he spends about another 17 years down in Egypt uh, in between the time that he, he comes back and, and the time that he, that he passes off the scene. His, his life expectancy is, is shorter than some of his fathers. He references that when he's talking to Pharaoh. You know, my fathers have lived longer than I. Then you start looking at his descendants, and he lives longer than they do. Uh, Joseph lives a good long life, as we'll notice in, later on in chapter 50. But even Joseph only attains to 110 years old. Right? So, so you have another 37 years that, that Jacob will have on, on his probably what seems to be his oldest living son, and, and he is exceeding him by, by roughly 37 years old. 147 years is a long time. I was looking at someone in the news recently this week, and she was 116. And you think, that's a really long time. And then you say it's 147. You say, that is a really, that is a really long time. Uh, the, the amount of things that you have seen over that period of time, the amount of, amount of transitions that have taken place, uh, the, the people that you have met and who have come and gone, uh, over 147 years. Uh, there, there's a lot that has taken place. 
And I think when you look here in chapter 48, I think you see some of the evidence of that. Uh, This is a man who has been carried by God for 147 years. And he sees it, and he knows it, and he can reflect on that. And to me, this is the greatest lesson that comes out of chapter 48, is looking at what, what is mattering to Jacob. Looking at what Jacob is fixated on. After 147 years, what is it that he is thinking about? What is it that he is reflecting about? What is it that means something to him? And it is the grace of God. right? It is the hand of God that has been at work in his life for 147 years. And he can look at incident after incident after incident after incident. And he can say, I've seen it here and here and here and here. And the result of that is he can then look at the future and say, if God has done all of these things back here, then he will most certainly take care of all of these things that are out yet to come. And and this is the lesson, and this is what we'll focus on as we look in chapter 48 this morning, is that we have a faith that looks not only backwards, but we have a faith that looks forward as well. And Jacob lives that out. He exemplifies that in this passage, and it it is a beautiful way that he does it. If I can give you a brief synopsis of what is going on in this chapter, um, it, it is that Jacob is, is fearing that he is nearing the end and he has unfinished business that he wants to take care of. Okay? Uh, we noticed uh, back in verse um, 29 of chapter 47, uh, you'll notice there that he says, when the time for Israel to die drew near. Okay, so chapter, chapter 47, we, we see that, 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 that there is a time that is coming that, that Jacob is, is near to die, and, and he has Joseph swear to him. Then you jump down to chapter 48, verse 1. Now, after, now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. Well, which is it? <laughs> is he dying or is he sick? Right? What, what exactly is, is, is going on here? It's hard to piece together exactly how the pieces are meant to, to go between chapter 47 and, and chapter, uh, really chapter 49. Um, we know that, that Jacob is, is apparently is dying in, ch- in, in chapter 47, end of, chapter 20, uh, end of verse 29 there. Uh, but we can see in chapter 48 that he's very much alive still, but he's weak. Right? He is very weak. Uh, when Joseph makes it down to, to, to go see him there, uh, we see there that it takes in verse 2 that Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Right? In other words, it took every ounce of strength that, that Jacob had just to be able to sit up. Right? So, so it, what it seems to be that the, the, the picture that we are having painted for us is that there is a, a period of time in that last 17 years that, that Jacob is down in, in Egypt. There is a period of time in which his health is not looking very good. Probably has some good days, probably has some bad days, but everyone kind of knows. And if you've had a loved one or, or someone that you've watched in the situation, you know what that looks like, right? There, is, there are good days and there are bad days, but you know where things are headed. And this seems to be uh, the situation that, uh, that, that Jacob finds himself in. And, and, and as he knows these situations are coming, he knows this time is coming, he's trying to get that unfinished business taken care of. Right? Uh, he needs to, to bless his sons. We'll look at that in two weeks in chapter 49. Uh, he wants to make special provision for Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Joseph's sons here in chapter 48. End of chapter 47, he wanted to make sure that his bones got taken back up to, to the land of Canaan. Right? He's, he's got things that are important to him, things that matter, and he's trying to get those things done. And so that seems to be the, the best way that we can piece together how 48 is, 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 is fitting together in here. Right? He's not doing well. He knows the time is coming near. He's not dead yet. He won't die to the end of chapter 49. Uh, but he is, the things are deteriorating. His health is, his health is, is, not, going, is not going well. 
What he really wants to do into chapter 48, uh, and we'll look at this in, in pieces as we look our way through here, what he wants to do is he wants to give Joseph, in essence, a double portion. He is going to take uh, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He is going to take them and he wants to bless them really in Joseph's place, as it were. This leads to a very interesting situation. Now, again, we'll look at this more in two weeks when we get to chapter 49. This, in essence, leaves us with 13 tribes by the time that you are done. As, Joseph, as Jacob, in essence, takes to himself and adopts to himself, as it were, Ephraim and Manasseh. This also puts Joseph in an interesting spot because it basically puts Joseph on par with Jacob. Together, Joseph and Jacob are, in essence, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I think this is part of the reason why Joseph plays such an important role in this passage is because of how Joseph ends up getting placed. God has been very good to Joseph in a number of ways. Uh, a lot of this passage explains how we, how we get to these tribes, how we, how we get Israel down to, down to Egypt. Uh, but another portion is to elevate Joseph substantially by this, by this arrangement. Uh, it's an odd arrangement. You could call it a, an adoption of sorts, but it's, that's really very loose, right? Because they're, they're not orphans, right? They have a father who's still alive. Uh, but it is really, it is, it is Jacob's way of, uh, of honoring his son, of showing really more favoritism to his son at a certain point and elevating him as the process takes place. So this is, in essence, what is taking place over the course of this chapter. I don't want to focus on that so much. That's fairly easy to understand, even if it seems a little odd to us. What I want to focus on this morning are the things that Jacob has to say as the process is taken out. Right As this is unfolding, the thoughts that are going on in Jacob's mind, because that's what's interesting about this chapter. He's reflecting on 147 years worth of God's goodness to him, right? And what is it that he sees? What is it that stands out to him? All right, that's what I'm interested in. So uh, two points this morning. Our faith looks backward. Our faith looks forward. As we think about what Jacob is looking at when he looks backward, the first thing that we see, the first place that we see is Bethel. It's Bethel. When he looks backward, the first thing that he sees is Bethel. Uh, Let me read just the first few verses for you here. uh, Chapter 48. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give you this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession." Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Pedan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, while there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Uh, the first thing that, that Jacob mentions as soon as Joseph appears, as, as he brings his two sons with him, um, is, is that God has appeared to him. He's recalling that God appeared to him, verse 3, at Luz in the land of Canaan. Now, Luz is another place that we know of as Bethel. This, in fact, it will get renamed this over the course of history. And as you look, and as we've looked in Genesis, we've seen this name and the, and the reference to both of these names show up in, in both of those situations. What I love about the fact that that Jacob is thinking about Bethel uh, is because Bethel is a place in which a lot of stuff has happened for Jacob. In fact, Jacob has been there twice. 
And each time that Jacob has been there, the message has in essence been the same. Uh, Bethel has served almost as a bookend for all of the the roughest periods of Jacob's life. Uh, It is at Bethel that Jacob comes to, and and he sleeps that very first night as he is fleeing from his brother Esau. His brother wants to kill him, right? And so he's been sent away to go find a wife, but really that's just a way of trying to keep him alive, right? Esau is mad. Jacob has has stolen the blessing along with his mother, right? And and Esau is furious at what has gone on. And so Jacob is now on his way out of the land of promise, out of the land of Canaan. And no doubt there are all kinds of thoughts that are going through his mind. He's never been here before. He doesn't know the way. Uh, He doesn't know if he's going to find a wife. Uh, He doesn't know perhaps even even where to to go and and, and to be at in order to find his wife. Uh, He doesn't know if he's going to be able to make it back. Uh, He doesn't know what the kind of traveling situations he may run into. It's a dangerous time to be doing this kind of thing. There are so many thoughts that are doubtless going uh, through Jacob's mind. And as he spends that first night at Bethel, what happens? He's not alone. He's not alone at all. He, he lays his head down to sleep. He's, he's kind of like, kind of, kind of cocooned in this rock-like structure, it seems like, probably trying to stay safe. And all of a sudden, he has this vision that there are angels that are, that are coming down and, and descending and ascending on this ladder that are nearby. And God promises him, I will be with you. I will keep you. I will be with you as you leave this land, and I will bring you back to this land. Right? I will be with you. If there was ever anything that Jacob wanted to hear at that point in time, it was that, right? On the run, scared for his life, going to a place that he doesn't know, he wants to know that God is with him. And God was with him. And the proof of that is that 20 years later, Jacob comes back to Bethel. And what has happened in the meantime? He is no longer on the run from his brother. In fact, he's already been had a chance to reconcile with his brother after the last 20 years. He left looking for a wife. He comes back with two wives and two servants on top of that and 13 children by this, well, actually 12 with one on the, one on the way. Uh, 13 children, basically, at this point in time, right? Uh, he has gone from being one single individual to, to being 14, 15, you do the math. I'm not doing good on the, on the fly here, right? He has multiplied already. God did that for him. He has survived uh, all of his experiences with Laban. Laban wanted to kill him. And what did God say? Nope, don't touch this guy, right? Everything that Jacob has gone through for 20 years, when he comes back to Bethel the second time, he can look back at what he saw the first time and say, you were with me. You, you preserved me for 20 years. You have brought me back to the land. The promises that you have made to me are sure. The promises that you have made have come true. You have kept your word. God has met with him twice, and each time the message is the same. I will multiply you. I will bless you. I will give you the, the, the covenant that I made with Abraham and with Isaac, and I will be with you. And Jacob, at this point in time, as he's 100, near 147 years old at this point in time, can look back and say, what means something to me? It's the promises of God. And the promises of God that have, I have seen come true. Right? I am being multiplied. I am being preserved. I am being kept. Right? This means a lot to, to Jacob. This means something to a man because he's seen it for 147 years. Not only is Jacob thinking about Bethel, thinking about Luz, though, he's also thinking about other circumstances where he has seen uh, the goodness of God on display. 
If you look down in verse 8 of chapter 48 here, uh, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom you have given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Is that not a touching scene that's taking place there? Uh, You almost get a little bit of deja vu, do you not? Uh, You have Israel uh, or Jacob here uh, sitting here with with eyes that are apparently very weak. Um, You get get very strong uh, reminiscence back to his father, uh, who is in a very similar situation. Uh, Even the the, the desire to seeming to, thinking that he's on his deathbed, almost seems very similar to to what happened with Isaac as well, who who seemed to be dying for 20 years or so. Um, uh, There's a lot of things that that kind of come back to you and make you think, well, that's awful odd. Uh, But here is is Jacob, and and he is weak. He is on his, you know, he's having to collect all of his strength in order to sit up. He, he's trying to trying to see who's out there. It, it doesn't it doesn't seem likely that he doesn't know Ephraim and Manasseh. He's been down in Egypt for for seventeen years. Surely he has met them by this point in time. But it seems as if his eyes are just so weak that there are there are people that are present. And he knows people are present, but he's not confident who it is. And so so Joseph says, "These are my these are my sons. These are these are Ephraim, and this is Manasseh, right?" And Joseph and Jacob's words there in verse 11, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Those bookends that took place at Bethel, those, those difficult times that, took it, that happened at Bethel, while those may have been largely the most difficult points of, of Jacob's life, they have not been the exclusively hard parts of, of Jacob's life, right? Jacob has had a very up and down relationship with his sons and particularly with Joseph for 34 years now. Right, as far as he was concerned, uh, as Joseph is 17 years old, uh, he is gone. He's been taken away from him. Right, a, a wild animal has killed my son, and he mourns for days upon end. 17 years later, what happens? Here's your son. Right, he's alive. Right, he's he's living in the land. He's 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 okay. He's fine. And then Jacob not only gets uh, to hear that news, but gets 17 more years down in Egypt with his with his son. Right, uh, there is a there is a very real sense in which Jacob can look back at the situation with Joseph. He can look back at how that has unfolded, and he can see nothing but the hand of God on that. Uh, not only is Joseph alive. Uh, not only is his son still living, but his son is preserving the life of his entire family. Right? He has brought, been able to take his family out of this land that is, uh, that is devastated by famine, pull them down into a land in which there is plenty of grain. The whole earth is flooding down to Egypt for this grain. And takes them and puts them in the, in the best possible place he can put them out in the land. Right? Where they can grow, where they can thrive. Uh, at this point in time, this famine is long gone. Now remember, they were two years into the famine when Joseph brings his, his family down. So five years after that, they're well past that. They've had 12 years at this point when things are probably starting to come back to normal. And so by this point, Jacob is probably starting to realize the benefits of being in the land of Goshen, right? Things are prosperous again. Things are, things are flourishing again. They are safe. They are provided for. Uh, they, are, they are secure because of their relationship with the throne, uh, because of how things have worked. And, and Jacob can look and can see all of this. He never expected to see his son again. And not only has he seen his son, but he has seen his son thriving, and he has seen his two grandchildren as well. 
right? Everything about this story, everything that has happened to Joseph, everything that has happened to Jacob over 34 years has been nothing but the hand of God on display. Taking him away, giving him back, and giving him more afterwards. It reminds you almost of the story of Job, right? Where he is, things are taken away and he is given more afterwards. This is the kind of experience that Jacob is having. He has seen the hand of God on display. He has seen the providence of God at work in his life, at work in Joseph's life, at work in the, in, even in the life of, of these two sons now here. He has seen the hand of God. And this gives him nothing but encouragement. This gives him nothing but joy, especially at this point in time, to be able to, to bless these two boys as if they were his own sons. This has done something for Jacob there. He has seen the hand of God as he looks backward in his life over 34 years. He has seen the hand of God on display. Then we see the way that he addresses God after this as he begins to bless them. So now that the children have been, have been brought to, to, to Jacob, they are seemingly at his, his knees there in verse 12. It says, Joseph took them from his knees and, they, and bowed with his face to the ground. Uh, these boys are probably 22. <laughs> They're probably not sitting on his knees. They're probably near his knees, right? This, this is a man that you probably don't want to be sitting on at this point in time, right? They're near his knees. But nonetheless, they are, they are gathered with him together, right? He now begins to bless them in verse 13. Uh, Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, and left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham, my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, that my name may live on in them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What catches my eye the most is what's at the end of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16, right? Again, Jacob is looking backward. Jacob is is looking back and thinking about all the things that he has seen, his life experience, and he is looking to to pass that on. He, He wants his children to be thinking about that, to know about that. And at the end of verse 15, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Those expressions are, are absolutely beautiful and they, are, and they are fitting coming from this individual, right? The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. There is hardly a person on the face of the earth to whom that could possibly mean more than for Jacob, who has spent his entire life as a, as a shepherd, Right? Uh, this is a man who understands what it means to be a shepherd. This is a man who understands the benefits that a shepherd brings to the animals that over whom he is overseeing. Right? Uh, you, you think about the, the tireless care that Jacob has described previously in Genesis as what he gave for those animals. Right? As he served for, for, for Laban day in and day out, he says, I didn't sleep. Sleep passed from my eyes. He stood outside in the rain. He stood outside in the snow. He stood outside in the heat. He took care of all of those animals so that Laban's animals and flocks could thrive. He protected them from wild animals. He made sure that they had everything that they needed to to drink or what they needed to eat. Uh, He made sure that they got it at the the right time. He employed some dubious other schemes that were going on there. But, But he understood what it means to care for animals, what it meant to care for livestock. And he could look at God and say, God has done the exact same thing for me. 
my needs have been met. As I needed to be led, as I needed to be led and, and, and guided throughout life, He has done that for me. As I needed provision, He has done that for me. As I needed protection, He has done that for me. As, as I needed to be to be to be to, to be corralled and, and brought in at night, He has done that for me. Uh, there is hardly anyone else that could say these words apart from someone like David who could say these kinds of words and you could say, this guy understands what that means. That's not just poetic words that are being offered up. This is someone who understands what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be shepherded. And he can say, God Almighty has been my shepherd. From the, from the land of Canaan uh, back to Aram, all the way back and now down to the land of Egypt. Everywhere along the way, he has led me, he has guided me and provided for me all of this way. Right? This is obvious to Jacob. There are 147 years God has done this. Then we also see, though, in verse 16, the angel has, who has redeemed me from all evil. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Uh, this is equally beautiful because you can't really tell exactly what it is he means by this. Right? Is he talking about in chapter 28 when he's at Bethel the first time and the angels are, are descending and ascending on the, on, on the earth, on this ladder, and God says to him, I will be with you. Is he looking back in that and thinking, I have seen how God has been with me. Obviously, there's not been a man walking with me all this life. Is he looking back and he thinking in verse 16 about the fact that maybe that's how God did it all, this, all these years. He kept angels around me in some capacity to, to guide me and to keep me. Is that, is that what he's thinking about? Is he thinking back to chapter 31 when Laban is pursuing Jacob? And Laban comes up and he meets with Jacob and he says, you've done me wrong, right? You've taken my children, you've taken these flocks, you've taken my household idols, right? And I, want, and I am in my right to, to kill you, I am in my right to pull these things back, but I will not because of the dream that I had last night. A dream that seems to make so much of an impression on, on Laban that he will not lay hands on, on Jacob despite all of his anger. A, a, a dream that impresses even Jacob as he hears about it so much that he begins to refer to the fear of Isaac as a person, right? Someone who is terrifying, someone who, who you do not want to mess with. Is that who he's thinking about? The angel who has redeemed him out of a very difficult situation? Is he thinking about that man he wrestled with? Remember in chapter 32, right? He's, he's wrestling with this man on the other side of the stream while he begins to send all of his, all of his family and his, and his herds across, and he's all by himself. And he comes out limping because the man just touches him on the hip, just touches him, right? And, and he comes away limping and a weakened, humbled man. Is he thinking about that? Because obviously he was with him. Is he thinking collectively about all the times that God has revealed himself to him? God has, from what we know in Scripture anyway, God has revealed himself twice to Jacob at Bethel and once at Beersheba in chapter 46 as, as Jacob is getting ready to go down to, uh, go down to Egypt. And God is telling him, it's okay, you're safe, go down there. This is, this is part of the plan. This is, this is what is meant to happen. What is he thinking about? And I would argue he might be thinking about all of it, right? Because again, what has he seen for 147 years? In all of those circumstances, whether it's the angels at Bethel, uh, whether it's that man that he's wrestling with across the brook, uh, whether it's the dream that appears to Laban, through 147 years, God has redeemed him out of situation after situation after situation after situation, many of which have been of his own doing. Why is he running from Esau? He cheated him. Why is he running away from Laban? 
He ran off with his stuff. Why is, why is he in many of these situations? It's his own fault, right? But it's been often through situations that have not been his fault. The famine couldn't, couldn't, wasn't his fault. He couldn't have seen that happen. But what has God done for him there? Redeemed him out of there again, right? Over and over again, Jacob has been redeemed. Over and over again, Jacob has been preserved. He has been kept. The promises of God have been fulfilled. I will be with you. I will keep you. And has he does it? Has he done it? Yes, he has. Right? And Jacob for 147 years can say this has happened over and over and over again. And this is what is important about our faith looking backwards. Faith must have an object. Faith is, faith is not just a fuzzy feeling. Faith is not just a, a happy sentiment that we keep or a, a real chipper spirit that we're, that we're upholding. Faith has an object. If we are believing something, it is something that we are believing in, right? And there is a reason why we are believing in it. And this is exactly what you see with Jacob. Jacob believes in God, right? He believes and he trusts the covenant of God. Why? Because he has seen him work, right? He has not seen everything fulfilled, but it's okay. Because what has been fulfilled, he can point at and say, this has been done. He has, he has done this for me again and again again. And again, our faith looks backward because we have experience, right? This is, what, this is what Jacob is talking about. I have seen the hand of God over and over again, and it buoys his faith. It, it encourages his faith. It gives him the ability to trust God continuing forward because of what he has already seen in the past. And I think this is important to us. We, we and likewise, experience this in two different ways. We experience it by looking at Jacob's life, do we not? This is, this is part of how our faith is grown. It is by looking at the record of what God has in Scripture, and we look and we see the times that God has made promises and He has kept promises, right? But the second way is through our own experience as well. Is that not what Jacob is doing here? He's looking back retrospectively and saying, look what I have seen. Look what has happened to me. Look what God has done. And that is an equally important part of what our faith looks like. There is a very real need that we have of reflecting on the goodness of God in our lives. To stop and consider what God has done in our lives. And that requires time to think. That requires time to reflect. And I think this is, this is, a, this is a, a circumstance that we, we struggle with oftentimes because we're so busy. If there's a, if there's a curse that technology has, has brought upon us, and yes, I love technology, but if there is a curse that technology has brought about us, it is that we are so busy, we don't have time to think in many ways. When bombarded by this, we have opportunities for that. There's, there's this going on, there's other things going on, and we're busy, 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 and we're, and we're distracted and we're all over the place. And what you don't have time for often is what is taking place here in Genesis 48. To sit there and look back at the things that God has done for you and to say, look what he has done. Reflect on the promises that he has made. I prayed to him here and he delivered. I prayed to him here and he delivered. I didn't even know I needed to ask for this and he delivered here. Those situations, those things encourage our faith. They build our faith. They encourage our faith. Our faith looks forward, yes, That's with the nature of faith. But faith also looks backward because it is the backward-looking faith that gives you the substance to be able to look forward, right? By by being able to look and see that he has done these things already, it enables you to look forward and say he will do these things in the future. Whether that's through Scripture, and hopefully it is, by looking at the promises of God, whether that's in our own lives, 
seeing the promises of God being lived out, seeing the providence and the goodness of God being lived out, those things encourage us and they make us able to look forward. Okay, So faith looks backward. And Jacob is doing that here. He is looking backward at the things that he has seen, at the circumstances that he has been through, and he can look back and say, look at what God has done. But again, this is faith that we're talking about here, right? It would not be faith if it was only looking backwards. That would just be memories. Faith is looking forward as well. And you see this taking place in this chapter as you're looking at what Jacob is saying as well. Again, if you look at verses 15 and 16, right? Uh, So we have the the blessing that Jacob is giving to Manasseh and, and Ephraim here. Um, and, and again, he is recalling that God has been the shepherd. He has been the angel there in verse 16. But you look at the end of verse 16 there. The, the prayer that he is praying, the, the blessing that he is giving, and, and it's, it's both. There is a, there's a duality that's present here, right? Bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, that they may grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob is is looking forward at this point. He can look backward at the hand of God. He can say, I have seen God bless. I have seen him multiply, right? He starts off as one man, uh, then he has all of his children. He goes down to the land of Egypt. Now we've got 70 people that uh, that are present there. The hand of God has been slowly multiplying this clan. But Jacob now looks forward at the end of verse 16 and says, there's going to be more coming though. Turn these two boys into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Where does that come from? Where does that expectation lie? Where where does even the the thought that you could ask God for that come from? It comes back in verse verse 3. right? As he is thinking about Bethel. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Why could Jacob even pray or ask or think that what is at the end of verse 16, that thee will turn these two boys into a multitude of peoples? What is, why does he even think that's possible? He's already seen it because God's promised that he would. Right? And this becomes his prayer then for these two boys. Bless these boys. Grow these boys. Multiply these boys in the midst of the earth. These two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, grow them. Multiply them here. Uh, the word that is being used there for, uh, for grow into a multitude, that, that phrase that is behind there, this is the only time this occurs uh, in Scripture. And, and so it's, it's a curious word. Uh, but if you look at that word, it's a word that looks awful similar to the word for fish. And so one of the possibilities, and some of your footnotes will will have this in your Bibles, uh, one of the possibilities that that Jacob is trying to get at here is he's basically saying, multiply them like fish. May they be multiplied like fish. And what does that make you think of immediately? Those great schools of fish that are swimming around the ocean, right? And you've seen the documentaries, and they drop the camera down in there, and you're, you're watching them, and you can't count them. You can't, you can't keep track of them. They're, they're enormous. Predators come and just wipe out half of them, and they're, still, and they're still present. There's still more of them. They're still growing. They're still, they're still prosperous, right? This, is exact, this seems to be the idea that, that Jacob is expressing here. I want these, these boys to be, to be blessed immensely. And he's not off base by asking for that, because what has God promised? I will turn you into a great nation. I will multiply your descendants after you. All Jacob is praying for is, do it especially with these two boys right here, right? Do this thing here. And what is Jacob looking towards? He's looking towards the future. 
right? Again, God has done these things in the past. I have seen his hand at work. All I'm asking is that you'll do that in the future and you'll keep the promise that you have made for me. The pieces that I have not seen completely fulfilled, do this for me. Do this in the life of these two boys. Multiply them in the future here. Not only do we see it with this collective, uh, these collectively two boys, but we see it even individually with these two boys. Uh, verses 17 down to verse uh, 20, we see this. Uh, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall, be a, shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce a blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph uh, is watching the situation. Joseph has guided these boys. Joseph has brought these boys for the specific purpose of them being blessed. He knows what, what Jacob's intentions are, uh, and, and his sons are going to be, in essence, adopted as sons. You'll notice back there in verse 14 that, that Joseph, well, really in verse 12, he places them in verse 12 and 13 very, very strategically. All right? The oldest is supposed to be on the right hand. The, the younger is supposed to be on the left. But you notice there in verse 14 that, that Jacob gets crafty again. Right? And, and we know that. We expect that to, to come out of Jacob. He gets crafty. He, he crosses his hands. Right? They're in the right place. They're on the right side. But he goes and he crosses his hands. And apparently Joseph didn't notice that at first. I don't know if Joseph was bowed to the ground. I don't know if Joseph, maybe, maybe he took a step back and, or wasn't really watching. Uh, but as after Jacob is pronouncing the words of verses 15 and 16, in verse 17, you see Joseph's response to this. Like, what are you doing? You, you can't do that. Uh, the word that's expressed there for displeased, displeased is probably a very, uh, a very light way of putting what Joseph is feeling at this point in time. And if you need proof for that, think of, think of the response that he's doing. He's basically grabbing his father's hands and putting them back on the right spot, right? Uh, Joseph is, is angry about this, right? This is, this is not right. You're supposed to give the greater blessing to the, to the older. You're supposed to give the lesser blessing to the, to the younger one, right? And he is trying to force that, to, to make that happen. But what we find out here is that this is not the fumblings of a blind man. Right? This is not a man who got confused. Because you'll notice there in verse 19, what does he say? I know, my son, I know. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what is taking place here, right? The older is going to be the young, the younger is going to be blessed more than the older one is, right? They're both going to be blessed. They, they both will multiply into a multitude of, of, of nations. Uh, but the younger. The younger is going to be a multitude of peoples versus just a great people right here, right? Uh, this is the promise that, that Jacob is expressing. Uh, we don't know where Jacob gets this from. Is this a revelation that, that, that God has given to him? Uh, similar to what you saw with, with Isaac, right? You, you, you start to see some very strong similarities between what you've seen with, with Isaac and, and with Ishmael, which you saw with Jacob and Esau, and now you see it played out here with Ephraim and Manasseh as well. Right? You start to get a sense in which we're, we're perpetuating the same idea, right? that it's not necessarily the older who's going to be blessed. Uh, it may be someone else who, who comes up from behind. Uh, but Jacob knows what is going on. He says, I know that, that, that you're not happy with this, but this is how this is supposed to work. The younger is going to be blessed more than the older. As we look at Israel's history, we see this play out. 
As we watch those tribes as they grow and as they develop, Ephraim is always the stronger tribe. Ephraim is always the bigger tribe. Ephraim and Manasseh even finally begin to take prominence when the northern kingdom uh, becomes its own situation, right? They become a multitude of peoples in their own right, right? They, they form the backbone of that, of that nation. They form the, the, the strength of that nation. They live out exactly the promise that is, that is given here. But Jacob is so confident. You'll notice that what he says in verse 20. How confident is he? By you, Israel will pronounce a blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. He's not just praying that this will happen. He says, in the times to come, in days to come, in years to come, as this gets played out, this will become an expression that you will bless people with. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Right? We've gone beyond just bless the boys in verse 16. Like, may this happen. We've gone to verse 20. This will happen. Right? And it will happen in this particular way. Ephraim will be blessed more than Manasseh will. Again, why can Jacob be so confident on this? Because of what he's already seen. Right? He has seen the revelation of God come true over and over again. He has seen the promises of God come out over and over again. He has seen in his own life that the younger may displace the elder. He's seen it. It's happened. Right? He can sit there with confidence that this is how this is going to work out because of what I have seen in the future. Finally, the last thing that we see as Israel is looking forward, as Jacob is looking forward, is verse 21 here. Verse 21. So Ephraim is put above Manasseh into verse 20. Uh, verse 21, uh, Joseph, uh, Jacob then turns to Israel. Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I gave you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. We'll probably come back to, chapter, to verse 22 another time. That's a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, but, but verse 21 there, Behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Uh, This is seemingly a reference back to to chapter 46. If you turn back to chapter 46 with me, uh, Jacob presumably is gathering this from from a promise that was made to him there. In chapter 46, uh, this is when Israel is getting ready to, to leave the land of Canaan. Uh, He's getting ready to go to Egypt. He's been told his son is alive. He's been told this is the way that that Israel is going to be able to to be preserved and kept alive. And and God says to him in verse 2, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. The promise that was made to, to, to Jacob there is that I will surely bring you up again. Right? You are meant to go down. You are meant to be down there. You are meant to grow, end of verse 3, into a great nation, right? But I'm going to bring you back up again. What situation does Jacob now find himself in? He's getting ready to die. Is he going to make it back up to the land of Canaan? His bones will. His bones are going to make it back up there. But is he going to live again in the land of Canaan? The answer is no, right? I don't know what his expectation was in chapter 46, but I'm guessing by chapter 48, his expectations had been adjusted a little bit, right? I'm getting ready to die, verse 21, right? But, in verse, chapter 48, verse 21, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers, right? Looking forward to Joseph, he says, God's going to get you back to the land of your fathers as well. 
I don't know what Joseph thought about in chapter 48, but by the time Joseph gets to chapter 50, Joseph knows he's not making it back alive to the land of Canaan either. His bones make it back. The children of Israel will see to that, and Joseph makes them swear to that in chapter 50, but he will not make it there alive. What is it that Jacob and Joseph are both waiting for? They're not waiting for an earthly country. This is why I had Mark read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 here this, uh, this morning. Right? Did you catch what, what was being said there? What, what was it that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all waiting for? They were waiting for an inheritance, yes. But are they waiting for an inheritance on this earth? No. They're waiting for a heavenly country. Right? They're waiting for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. Right? Their faith looked backward, yes. Their faith looked forward, yes. And very much so. It looked beyond just the children of Israel inheriting the land of Israel 400 years later. It looks beyond that. It looks forward to when there is a new heaven and a new earth. When there is a heavenly country that is far superior to anything that they lived in or sojourned in at this point in time. Right? They were sojourners. Right? And Joseph knew this better than anyone as he sojourned in the land of Egypt for for however however many years, away from everyone. He understood these promises. Jacob understood these promises, having sojourned in and out of the land of of Canaan. He understood this. They looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. They looked for a heavenly country. And this is where our faith and the faith of Jacob and the faith of Joseph starts to meet together. Because we look and long for the exact same thing. Right? We look for something that is better than this earth. We're not looking to inherit. We're not looking to possess on this earth. We are waiting for something that is far better. And that's exactly what Jacob and Joseph both were waiting for. And that's what Jacob is pointing to in verse 21 here, right? God, he'll bring you into this land just as much as God will bring him into this land. And he's not just talking about his bones, right? He's talking about living there himself, living, not sojourning, but living. You and I share the exact same faith with them. And why do we share that faith? Because of the promises of God. And, we, and it is encouraged, it is built up because of the promises of God that we have seen already, right? Because our faith looks backward and our faith looks forward at the exact same time, right? We sit in the exact same spot that Jacob is. We're farther removed in history, right? We have far more revelation. We know who Christ is. We believe in Christ. We, we understand how those promises are likely are going to be fulfilled at this point in time. But we still sit and we still wait. We still sojourn in this land. Uh, and we still long for it with every fiber of our being because we look backward and because we look forward. Our faith is encouraged by what we have seen and what we had known to have come true. Our faith looks forward because the promises of God are yet in the future. We walk by faith. We don't possess by faith. We walk by faith. And it is by faith and not in possession that we live this life. Everything that we hold right now is is temporary. Everything that we hold right now doesn't last. Everything that we hold will will, will melt away, burn away, uh, disintegrate at some point in time. But we wait for that which is eternal. We wait for that which is heavenly. And in that, we stand here with Jacob, right? And this is what the author of Hebrews was pointing out in chapter 11, right? We join that company. We join that band waiting for the promises of God, secured by the promises of God, encouraged by the promises of God as we have seen them lived out, right? Jacob is pointing to it in chapter 48. Jacob is expressing it in chapter 48. And we should be right there with him. Right? Looking back at our lives, seeing the handiwork of God, and looking forward, waiting expectantly for what we still do not see. Right? And that is the nature of faith. It looks backwards, it looks forwards. It does both, right? And it has to 
because that's the only way faith can exist. All right? So may we, may we sit here exactly like Jacob is in chapter 48. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what we see in this chapter. I thank you for uh, an example of a man who has seen things firsthand. Uh, Father, and an imperfect example at that. Uh, this is not a man who is, who is absolutely stunning in his character. Uh, he is a man that we have looked at and we have seen his flaws. But at the same time, we can look at chapter 48 and we can see and, 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 and declare with him that you have been good. You have been faithful. Uh, you have been faithful through him throughout his own failings. You have been faithful to him uh, throughout other circumstances that are beyond his control. And he saw it, and we see it, Father. And that those promises fulfilled make us look forward to the promises that we yet wait for. For the things that we have a taste of right now, but not, not in fullness. For the things that, are, that already are, but not quite yet, Father. Those are what we wait and we long for. And, we, and it's because of your promises. And it's because of you. Because you are a faithful God who keeps your covenants, who keeps your promises, and is able and powerful enough to do that. So, Father, may we, may we be like Jacob. May we look backwards and may we look forward. May we see your hand and may we long more for your hand uh, to be at work thanks to what you have done in, your, in, in Scripture and in our lives. We thank you for this now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.